This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. This is Author Talk. I'm Brian Houston. Today we're going to be talking uh, to a gentleman who has spent a lifetime flying both uh, in the military and uh, personally and uh, has a love affair with flying. Uh, His name is Warren Hall and the name of the book is Demons, Phantoms, and Me. It's published by Author House. And Mr. Hall, we appreciate you talking to us from your home in California. How are you? Oh, it's doing fine. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself first before we talk about Demons, Phantoms, and Me. Tell us about your background. Okay. Well, first of all, I, when, I was a, when I was a child, I loved airplanes and uh, went on to be a... Uh, I've always, always been around airplanes, worked at the airport... Uh, Flying in. What was it about flying that you loved so much? Yeah, let me just get up. Is it Demons, Fans, and Me, A Love Affair Flying, is a wonderful story of a NASA test pilot's aviation adventures from learning to fly as a teen, teenager uh, in Ronca Champs, which people will probably know, to piloting uh, Phantoms. Off uh, air, 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 air for so anyway, I was in the uh, I went in the Navy, mm-hmm. and Love Affair is a wonderful story of a NASA test pilot's aviation adventures from learning to fly as a te- te- as a teenager in Aronka Champs and to pilot uh, off. Phantoms off air carrier, aircraft carriers. Author takes you into the cockpit and eloquently shares the emotions, feelings, and trepidations. Trip, that's hard to say. Mm-hmm. That accompanies the process of being a Navy fighter pilot and logging over 300 carrier landings. You will experience the exhalation. Ex- 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 I can't say that of the first carrier landing and the apprehension and anxiety of uh, when a uh, Navy air aviator goes flying off the deck of an airplane. Feel the rush of dueling with a UFO over the Gulf of Mexico. That was was a funny one. And uh, the the author freely admits this book and could not have been written as it was happening. His macho mute image with that let an honest output of what was really happening going on in his mind and heart during the exciting period in his impressive flying career. It's a great trip down memory lane for anyone who went through the process or who may wonder what it was like. The book contains over 240 photographs and uh, most from the author's personal collection. How did you come to write this book, Mr. Hall? I just, you know, I, I was working and uh, just 
started writing things about what was I was doing because I worked at an airport and, uh, and then I was flying and then I was in the military and just put them all together and uh, came up with the name A Love Affair with Flying. How long did it take you to put all these things together, uh, to put all these memories on, onto a page and, and to gather up all these pictures to put in the book? Oh, that's a long time. I would say about four or five years. Really? Take really get all all together. Did you enjoy the process? Yeah, it is. As a matter of fact, what was it that uh, that you enjoyed most about uh, doing the research and going back through things and and putting all this together? I say loving something that I love as airplanes and being able to put it together and have other people take it and you know liking to look at it and and help me and making think that I've done something worthy and I just love it for that so so write me down that's the only thing I know something about is airplanes <laughs> that's a good thing to know though and it sounds like you had uh, some pretty amazing experiences uh were you in uh World War II, or what war were you involved in? Did you do any fighting uh, while you were flying? Well, no, 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 there was never a war with it, has that. Okay, okay. Well, and I'm glad for that for you. Uh, I understand also that you were a NASA test pilot, is that correct? That's correct. Now tell me what that was like. Uh, it was fine because uh, you get to do things that people. Uh, never get to do to do the real things of flying and putting it together and having people enjoy it and have it be used uh, for years now and uh, so it's, I like airplanes I guess that should be did you ever uh, when you were a NASA test pilot did you ever think that there might be a time when you might actually be able to go into outer space no, I really never did uh, go that route. And you were happy just doing the flying that you were doing? That's correct. Very good. Uh, there's something here, there's a statement uh, I think that you made where you said, if you have a dream, you can make it come true. Tell me about that. Well, that's uh, something that I enjoyed and played with when I was a kid. Uh, and then when I grew up, I just still glued the airplanes and flying airplanes, putting them together, uh, talk, talking to people. So I do a lot, a lot of going and talking to people about the uh, coming of the book and and what's in there, and people enjoy it. I enjoy it and it makes it fun. Now, the, what I understand about you is that uh, you were literally in elementary school when you when you fell into love with airplanes. Uh, at that time, uh, did you ever envision that you would be able to uh, do the kind of flying that you did? I have to say no, I, I guess, but it's funny because I got a picture of me when I was about three years old with this big model airplane, and I wasn't going to let anybody touch that thing <laughs> for me, but it went that way. And so it's uh, just something that I'd love to do. And it's, uh, aviation has just been my life. And you got to go to work when you were, you got to go to work at an aviation airport, is that correct, your first job? That's correct. Uh, how, was, uh, we call a line boy. How old were you? So... When about that time, I was probably about 18 years old. 15. 15, 15 years. 
that must have been a thrill to be 15 years old and working in an airport, huh? Yeah, and you get to know the people, and, you know, they like you and so forth. And at that time, you know, you had most of the airplanes, to get them started, you had to run the propeller out there. And so I get that, and the uh, the people that were flying were, were me. They liked me. I liked them, and and that got a lot of flying for me, and uh, just has loved it ever since. Now, uh, did you learn to fly while you were working at that airport? That's correct, and I had people who helped me, and uh, that's where it started. So that must have been a great thrill. I mean, when kids your age, people that you went to high school with, uh, you were actually flying before you got out of high school. That's correct. That's correct. And so then tell me about going into the Navy and becoming a fighter pilot. How did all that come about? Uh, well, when I, uh, I was while well, I was still in, in college, hmm. and uh, so... I was making money actually at that time, mm-hmm. flying for people or you know, and being in an airport where you're out there turning props for the uh, propellers and things like that, uh, and had people that uh, enjoyed airplanes, and I just lived those things, and had friends and had people that uh, worked with me and for me uh, when I was oh, what. High school mm. to start out. So, uh, how long did you fly? Have you flown your whole adult life after that, or did you just do this during your military service? No, I'm still doing it. Really? Yeah. And do you still fly even today? Uh, not as much, but yes. And does it still hold the same thrill for you now as it did when you first started? You better bet. What is it about the flying that you love so much? You know, it was, like I said, uh, this is a really crazy one, but I have a uh, some pictures when it was, was taken when I was about three years old, I think, mm-hmm. that had airplanes in their hands and mm-hmm. running about and low-on and standing and moving them around and just loving it. And I've always loved airplanes and still do. When people read your book, A Love Affair with Flying, uh, Demons, Phantoms, and Me, what is one thing that you want your readers to, to learn or take away from the book? How do you want them to feel? What is it the one thing that you want them to remember when they read the book? Well, what I really want like would be people to be able to read that and get the feeling of all the things that goes into flying airplanes, putting airplanes together, uh, and while I've just lived airplanes forever. Fantastic. Well, we are very excited about the book for you, and we wish you the best of luck with it. How can people get your book? Amazon. Okay. And, of course, uh, they can go to the Author House uh, website as well and find the book there. And I know, sure, I'm sure it's on Barnes & Noble as well. So uh, it sounds like it's going to be a great book for you. Do you think you'll write another book? Uh, I'd like to, yes. Well, we, we look forward to seeing that, and we hope you can someday. Yes, sir. 
Well, Mr. Hall, thank you so much for visiting with us today. Uh, we enjoyed vis- talking with you about the book. Uh, obviously, you do have a great passion for flying, and uh, I'm sure that comes through uh, very clearly uh, in your book. Okay. The books can be bought, but if you need one, to, you know, send something to me, and I'll put a book back. <laughs> put a book with it. Fantastic. Mr. Hall, thanks again very much for speaking with us again. The name of the book, Demons, Phantoms, and Me, A Love Affair with Flying. It's written by Warren Hall. It's published by Author House, and we encourage you to pick up a copy of it and uh, get a feel for what it was like for a, a man who loved to fly and wants to share that feeling with you. Mr. Hall, thank you very much, and thanks very much for coming on with us today. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. My name is Brian Houston. You've been listening to Author Talk. And we thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Of Bonds and Bondage, and the author is Rita Baker, and Rita joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Rita. Hello, Steve. Great to have you with us. This is a, as you put it, a gripping tale, and and folks who have read it say, you know, you take them there. You take them right into the the setting, the environment, right into the character's passion, emotion. It's a gripping tale with mystery, love, sex, hate, and revenge. And also, of course, the consequences of one's actions that have on others. So tell us a little bit about your background, Rita, and why you wrote this book. Certainly. As a young girl, I was always interested in the law and those who practiced it. I would read as much as I could about it. And then, by a miracle, I met my husband and was drawn to him even before I discovered he was a criminal lawyer. So I would have to say, yes, he influenced me. Uh, Also, by what I further discovered through him about those in the legal profession and, of course, the law itself, and how its interpretation was crucial to lawyers, to a lawyer's case. And thus, my imagination began to fly, and eventually, I produced this book. But you know, I never actually chose to write. I would have to say it chose me. From an early age, when I first learned to read, I fell in love with the sound of words and the magic they could weed. Rather than play with dolls and prams like girls do, 
my greatest pleasure was to sit in front of the fire, stare into the flames, and dream of princes and princesses and wicked witches, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, as I aged, of course, so did my stories. And um, until this day. Well, wonderful, wonderful picture you just painted. I can just see you sitting in front of that fireplace and and thinking about all these different possibilities, all these uh, plots and, and all of the characters. And so these characters, attorneys, lawyers, uh, sometimes... Uh, we just hate them, you know. It uh, seems like in there, the the more bad, the better, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, when I first started to write, um, I wrote a book. I wrote a story. It was a lovely story about a ship and um, um, a journey aboard a boat going to South Africa. And I showed it to my son, who's also a writer, actually, but he writes nonfiction. And I said, what do you think, Nikki? He said, uh, very nice, Mum, but where's the villain? I said, villain? What do you mean? There's no villain. He said, you can't have a novel without a villain. Well, I took notice, and hence the villains of my novels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so let's talk about the villains of your novel of Bond and Bondage. Tell us about those main main villains. Who are they? Archie Bingham, he is the villain. His entire existence is fueled by a craving for revenge. He's the wickedest, meanest, uncaring character I could possibly have invented. The book, actually the book's in two parts. The first part begins with an investigation. Um, Bingham, um, he um, eventually becomes a district attorney, an assistant district attorney in New York. And he wants to get on, and um, he chooses to blackmail Joseph Bacacci. Um He was a businessman one with, who once had, who was once affiliated to the mafia. Well, of course, Bacacci couldn't give away any items. I mean, his life would be—he would have, you know, sort of his throat would be slit. So would his family. So he engaged his adopted grandson, who was also a lawyer, an American lawyer, to go and find out about Archie Bingham who was originally from England and what the grandson's name is Lehman Frankie Lehman and he goes to London and during a series of meetings with um, uh, people who knew Archie Bingham a story evolves about a man who seemingly is is filled with the devil he's wicked, he's hateful and it also tells you about you know when I used to read books very often you hear a story about someone, two people are speaking, and then one of them goes away, the, the main character goes away, and you don't know what that other person is thinking. I decided to tell the reader what that person was thinking. And so when Lehman has finished um, talking to uh, one of Archie's past um, um, well, I can't call them friends, nobody was his friend, everybody hated him, associates, you get he you you the reader alone gets to hear his thoughts and i give a little story about how and why he hated um bingham so much and what it did to him how it affected his life 
And um, anyway, that goes through the book. And I, there are lots of little stories. I have stories within stories. And then in the second half, you just, you meet, that's when you meet Archie Bingham himself. And you get his, um, from his, you get the, all the stories from his perspective and um, why he did what he did and how he did it. And, um, and basically, that's, that's, he, he hated his father so much, but I won't tell you why. <laughs> that you will have to read the book to find out. Well, there's always two sides to a story, so it's an interesting way to get to know this Archie Bingham, which is the uh, villain. Uh, you even say he seems to be possessed by the devil. And Lehman, though... Here's Lehman yes. trying to find out about Bingham's background, but at the same time, of course, uh, there has to be a love affair. Oh, of course, there's a, there are two love affairs. Um, one with uh, Lehman, when he's in London, he meets a girl of a different persuasion, and um, of course they fall in love, And but he is Italian, uh, Catholic, very strong Italian Catholic, and she is Jewish, and they realize that it just wouldn't work. And so it's heartbreaking. It pulls at the heartstrings. And there's a great scene at the end when they leave each other, when she takes him to the airport to go back home and what happens to her on the way home um, and how she came out of it. Well, of course, I shan't tell you that now. You'll have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, then... Uh, what was I going to say? It, it, and then there's the the uh, love story in the second half, where Bingham falls in love. Well, I'm not going to tell you who he falls in love with, but what he does is an absolute tragedy for him, not just for him but for the girl. And um, well, it ends in a in tragically. Let me just put it that way. It ends tragically. And then um, the the last. Um, he brings his father down as he wanted to, but he brings himself down at the same time. But then I, at the last chapter, I weave both narratives together to, and to give it a more satisfying ending. Yes, shocking but touching. Yes, a shocking but touching. Yes, you must have read that. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, uh, that's and, right. and that's people are saying, you know, it's a it's the kind of conclusion that, as you put it, is ultimately satisfying. Yes, that's right. So people don't end reading your book just all upset. No, they don't. They like to have an ending that they can feel. They don't like to be left in the air. Right. Right. Yes. And I don't like leaving people in the air. And another another interesting uh, theme is with this Lehman who is trying to, you know, uh, understand Archie Bingham's background. And he goes to Le England to find that out. And he has this love affair that you've already talked about. But he also starts to learn about his own mysterious roots. That's right. He... Well, his parents were from Italy, and um, I take you on a journey for two, for two chapters. I take you on a journey. Have you ever been to Italy in the Amalfi Coast? I oh, haven't. It, it sounds beautiful, though. It is beautiful, and if you read those two chapters, you will you will be there with me. Now, I always write about what I know, what I've experienced, what I understand, and. My husband and I visited that part of the coast many times, 
the hotel that I um, that I've written about in uh, in the book is a hotel that my husband and I stayed at. I've even described the room we stayed in, the hotel. I described the journey we took along the Amalfi Coast to Positano, and I describe Positano. Uh, but of course, the, I've added the mystery that um, Lehman discovers about his parents and his grandfather's um, involvement. Um, it's quite an intricate story, and... Um, it's um it's it's a fulfilling story actually he finds out a lot of things about himself and um but as i said it's the end of those two chapters is very fulfilling for lehman he understands himself better he understands his adoptive grandfather better and um but i can't go into too much detail because i don't want to give give away the surprise <laughs> well you're doing a great job of introducing all these characters and a lot of what they're going through but in the midst of all this tragedy you've also i guess you enjoyed putting a little humor into the story tell us about that oh yes i do i always i mean i write all my books i've written a number of books since all my books are tragedies but there's always humor and who can I, I i don't know whether you know the english cockney have you heard of the english yes, cockney yes yes yeah. yes i always add some cockneys in it and have some fun with them and um and i do i have a lot of fun <laughs> i have a lot of fun um describing this cockney couple who's very who are very indiscreet um, typical Cockneys, and um, it, I, that is, they meet them on the boat going from um, Sorrento to Capri, which is gorgeous. Capri is gorgeous. I described Capri as well. It's beautiful. And actually, the place where they go swimming, um, Lehman and his girlfriend, is the place that I went swimming with my husband. It's a beautiful little cove along the coast and to get down onto the beach you have to climb down a ladder and drop the rest of the way <laughs> and the, it's absolutely empty the, the beach is absolutely empty and my husband swam but I couldn't I tried to get in but the waves are so high and strong that they just push you back and I described that and that is exactly what my husband and I did and so basically in a sense, although I'm adding tragedy to it, I'm writing about myself and my husband. There's, there's a lot of myself in this book. There's a lot of my husband in this book. There's a lot of everything I do, all the places I go to, I've been to, I've seen, I've experienced. So it's not so you're, you're learning actually a lot about me in that book. And you've known similar characters that are in your book. Oh, I have. I've, I mean, I've mixed with lawyers all my life. I mean, all my married life. And um, law lawyers, barristers, judges, and I knew their characteristics, the, their mannerisms, and I described them in the book. And um, But uh, as a background to the story. And um, But I love doing that. I mean, how can you create a realistic character unless you can see them in your mind. One thing about the writer, um, you can see everything. I mean, I don't know about other writers, and I'm sure they have the same uh, way of doing things. I, 
I have this imagination, this memory where I can visualize everything as it happened. I can even, do you know, I can see back as far as my childhood and I can remember every detail. I can remember what I wore. I can remember a person's face. I can remember their mannerisms and I add all these things to my book. And that's why in the Kirkus Review, it says that I create realistic characters, convincing characters, because I'm describing people that I knew, their mannerisms, their looks, their, the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they do everything, even their dress. And, but that's, that's what writing is all about. The creative mind is an amazing thing. It's sometimes you write, as in this book, and it's as though the words are just falling out of somewhere, out of nowhere. And before you know what you're doing, you've got a book. And it's as though the book has written itself. It's, but, you know, it happens with all creative people. Have you ever wondered why Mozart could write music without ever having to redo something just from A to Z all the way through, it's because he hears the music inside his head before he writes it down. And that's the way, that's what happens with a writer. You, the words just fall into place inside your head. And before you know what you're doing, there they are on the page. And they come to, and the same with, I used to write poetry. The same with poetry. You know, the finest poems are those that come to you in seconds. They are perfect. The rhythm is perfect. The rhymes are perfect. Everything about them is perfect. It's as though someone from outside of yourself is planting it inside your head and you're just writing it. And that's what happens. And that's what happened with this book. It was as though it wrote itself. <laughs> and that's what happens, I find, when I do write. It's, um, the creative mind is... It's fascinating. That's it's a for wonderful sure. thing. Well, you're a very creative person, and you're a delight to talk to, and you've explained and your book so well and taking us uh, into the minds and hearts of these characters and even taking us on a little journey uh, to some very pretty places. And that's what makes this book so unique. Rita Baker, she is the author, and the title of Bonds and Bondage, Rita, what's the best way to get your book? Um, well, I suppose the best way to get my book is um, you can get it. It's on Amazon. It's on Author House. And um, it's an e-book, which is very reasonably priced. Or you, most people, a lot of people like to have a book in their hands. And uh, you can, as I said, Amazon, Author House, um, Barnes & Noble. Um, but I also have a website now. You can see all this on the website. It's www.authorritabaker.com. And then you can, you can also see me on that website and about the book and how you can buy it. Thank you so much for joining us on Author Talk. It's been a pleasure, Steve. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. 
After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes, a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals. And our author, Dwyla R. Funk, joins me from Missouri. And a little town called, uh, it was an unusual name. What was it now? Was it Curiosity, or what was the name of your town? <laughs> it's Peculiar. Peculiar. Well, it has my curiosity. Share with me the uh, little of your background. Why are you interested in animals by first uh, request? Um, well, I think, I don't know. I always have been. I've always loved animals growing up. Um, always had pets. And so that's I don't know. It's just something that's been in me all my life. And you're not a veterinarian or anything related no, to the no, industry. No, I'm not. Um, probably should have been, um, except I get squeamish around blood and all that. So <laughs> I thought that probably wasn't a good thing for me. But Sure. Um, There's anyway, I mean, I, I pursued other interests, and although I keep going back to the whole issue about the animals. There is a, a general curiosity about animals and scripture, if you want to refer to it that way. In fact, some people have asked, oh, is, am I go- if, if I die and if I do go to heaven, am I going to see my dog or my cat or my, uh, my pet monkey, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Is that part of your curiosity, or how did this book get written? What was the uh, impetus behind it? Well, I think, first of all, I guess just a little bit about my background so you understand I was not raised in a uh, family that, um, I guess we believed in God, but we were not church-going people or any of that. My grandmother was the one that was kind of uh, the catalyst to kind of get me closer to God. And so, but anyway, and she was the one that gave me my Bible that I had when I graduated high school and yada, yada. But um, what got me to do this is, as in my adult years, um, and I started to get a little bit closer to God and reading the Bible for myself. Um, Being from Missouri, I kind of got to know what's really going on instead of somebody tell me what's in it. Um, But then I, because I am drawn to people that love animals as well, and plus it was my animals that I've had, and when they passed on, um, I've had the question, you know, what's going to happen? Do they go to heaven? Do they not? And I've heard a lot of people and a lot of preachers even saying that animals don't. They do not have a living soul, and so therefore they will not be in heaven. Mm-hmm. They're you know, unlike humans, I mean, we're the only ones that will end up going to heaven. And that always bothered me, but I never really pursued it. And then I started having friends, because like I said, I'm drawn to people that love animals too, common interest. And they were having some of the same questions when they've lost a pet, and was really, I mean, troubled with that. So finally, I decided um, to search out for myself 
And because I work in a school district, um, I'm off during the summer. So I thought, okay, I'll take this opportunity to research the Bible for myself. By this time, I had read through the Bible, but, you know, that took me a, a couple of years. Um, but, I mean, I think it just, finally, I was going to be pursuing about this. So I got, you know, an exhaustive concordance. I used the Bibles that I had. And I tried to research finding any other books out there that were on this topic. There weren't a lot, and they were hard to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did it myself, and I was writing out the scriptures, and I was going through trying to find anything at all. And after doing this, I was going to try to figure out, I mean, kind of just doing my own research. And that was it. I just wanted to find the answer. And so after doing that and finding an overwhelming amount of scriptures, not only covering about animals going to heaven, but so many other things about how we're supposed to treat animals, um, how God's used them to teach us messages. I mean, there was just a lot of information um, that it just dawned on me. I mean, I was finally realizing that, yes, indeed, animals do go to heaven. It's, it's there. You know, people are just willing to look, that they do have living souls just like we do. Yes, they are different than us, but God still made them, and he loves them, and he has a purpose for them. But, you know, just looking at all of this, and I realized somewhere down the road, that's when I thought, if I have all these questions and I have friends that have these questions and I can share, you know, with them what I found and encourage them to go look for themselves, but there's probably countless others that have the same questions that I did. There are probably not so, any other books out there that have dealt with this subject either. Have you found any? Very few. I mean, there are some, and I mean, there may be more now, um, but I know when I was trying to search... Number one, going to bookstores trying to find anything, you cannot mm-hmm. find any. Um, some online, I could find some. And some of them just weren't what I was looking for. I mean, there were some that were close. And I bought them, and I read them cover to cover and highlighted in them and all that. Um, some that were good, and they did put a lot of scriptures. It was just after doing all the research, I found there's so much more to share. And so... That's when I went ahead, and I honestly, I talked myself out of this book, I don't know how many times. Mm. And I think just because of my fear, because that was not, that was never my idea or plan is to be a writer, you know, to write a book or to get it published. But it was like God kept putting things in my path, and so it was like, okay, I have to do this. Right. And so... Now, did did you not write another book called Thumper's Gift? Is that just a story that didn't get published, or how was that in involved in in your writing that, past that again i'm sorry thumper's what gift is what is that was that oh, a story thumper's that you <laughs> that was okay that was a story and i had to include it in there because it was kind of part of the journey because this book is not only you know all the scriptures and what i found from my research but it's also kind of my journey as well you know kind of what i went through with all this thumper's gift i had um a, well i had found after i moved out to the country a couple of orphans cottontails and I raised them and it was Thumper was a couple years old two or three and something happened she got sick or something and she died Mm. and of course I was very sad you know overwhelmed with this but it was like six months prior to her dying I and I had been reading the Bible and kind of um, this was before I started searching out the truth about what God really sees about animals but it was 
I had been reading the Bible, though, and getting to know God a lot more. And so about six months prior to Thumper dying, it was, I had this dream, and it was one of those dreams that was just kind of weird, and I, I know this may, makes me sound crazy, but it was, it took place out here in the back by my woods, and it was at night, and I, I, it was a weird thing, and I saw all these animals out in the woods, and they were all getting along, and there was this big bear that stood up and was dressed, and it was kind of weird, but it was kind of talking to me, and I can't remember what all was said. Mm-hmm. But I remember coming in the house from my dream, this is from my dream, and I just remember, i got to remember this, this is really important. So when I woke up, I wrote down the dream, and that was it, and left it. Well, then, like I said, six months later, Thumper died. And that was really sad. Um, and that was probably one of the first losses that I had in my adult years of losing a pet. Now, prior to having that dream, were there any overindulgences with uh, exotic foods or other things that might have spurred that remembrance? No, no. I mean, no. sometimes I just, I, I can have weird dreams at times, and sometimes they're just, you know, silly dreams. And I didn't know that that meant anything at the time, that dream. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was one of those things. I had a dream. This was odd. I wrote it down. And sometimes I'll do that with dreams. If it's something that is, I don't know, I had this overwhelming feeling about it, that there's something about this dream. Hmm. And I've had a few of those over the years. It's not like it's all the time. But anyway, so I don't know why I had it. Don't know why you had it. No, this, this particular study, this research, this uh, delving into the mystery of animals through God's eyes, what did you discover that surprised you and may surprise the reader? What surprised me, I think, the most is that, and granted, everybody has the right to believe what they want to believe, but of course, I'm always trying to search out to find out the truth or what the facts are. Um, what I found in there is that if you go through the Bible, there's different things that repeat itself, and it kind of explains itself. That's the way I'm learning. This is what I've heard, but just trying to find it out myself. And when you go through and you really start going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you're looking at these things, and you're looking at the repeated message, okay, this is what really surprised me is how much people are so wanting to say, and I'm saying people in general, people that maybe don't have a connection with animals or what have you, but how they want to say that animals don't go to heaven, that God almost put them here on earth as things or to be used. Hmm. And that's not the case at all. Well, and if you really read it, I mean, God is about, we're supposed to show compassion to animals. Right. We're supposed to be caretakers of animals. You know, they are here for a purpose. That was not his initial plan, was for us to kill animals. And in the end, everything is going to turn out right in heaven. I mean, the way he's going to work things out, and there won't be any killing, and animals will be there. And so that's the most uh, amazing thing to me, is how people can so twist things around to suit their own needs. And I know, when I started off on this journey, I knew I was going to be faced with, okay, what if I find the answer is not what I want? Um, I've got to be able to know the truth, Mm. you know? I can believe whatever I want to believe, but it doesn't mean it's the truth. I wanted to find out what the Bible said about it. You've written 212 pages, and just for our listeners who may not know Scripture, it does talk about the lion and the lamb laying down together in a peaceful time. It also talks about horses in the book of Revelation. So there are some specific references that uh, could be, I don't know, they could be type and shadow, or it could be just a a visual or visionary thing. But there's a good possibility there will be actual animals, according to what I have read as well. Now, 212 pages, that's a lot 
of uh, a lot of information that you've shared. Uh, how long did it take you to complete this, Twyla? <laughs> um, well, like I said, I would do the research during the summer, and then I would just kind of put it away for during the school year. So honestly, it took all in all, and for me to finally go through, I wrote it, I revised it after a couple of years each time. All in all, it took about 12 years. <laughs> 12 years. And did you think uh, that this will be appealing to a lot of people that are religious or non-religious, perhaps? I think it could be, and I think it, it's primarily the reason I wrote it, like I said, is to share it with other people that are animal lovers and they had the same questions I did. And that I just wanted to share with them what I found and encourage them to seek out the truth for themselves. Go to the Bible themselves. Look at it. Don't just trust me on this. I wrote out the scriptures because that was the way I wanted to have a book. I wanted it right there where I could see it. But I encourage everybody to go and search out the truth for themselves. I mean, don't take anybody's word on anything. I think think animal lovers, and I think some Christians would, and definitely Christians that are animal lovers, definitely. Some people won't want to because it's not the interest in that, not the message they want to see. Sure. And that's totally up to them, too. And you wouldn't call this a doctrinal stance. It's an opinion based on your study of Scripture, correct? Right. I mean, I am not a pastor. I (laughs) never went to seminary. I am just your average Joe. I mean, hopefully I'm reasonably intelligent. I mean, you know, going to college and I have, a, you know, my own career um, as a clinical social worker. But this is based on just anybody can go to the Word themselves, search it out for yourself, find out what God is telling you, you know, based on His Word in the Bible. Um, that's what I wanted to do and to show people is you don't have to go to seminary for God to talk to you. And you live in Curiosity, Missouri or something like that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, share with my listeners how they can get a copy of Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes. Well, again, unfortunately, it's not in bookstores because this is my first book. But um, it is through, you can get it at through Author House. You can get it on Amazon.com and also BarnesandNoble.com. They also can request this at their local bookseller, just uh, for those who may be listening overseas or somewhere else in the world. Okay. This is uh, uh, still available, and, and you can also do a search under the author's name, Dwyla R. Funk, F-U-N-K, first name D-W-I-L-A-1-L. Dwyla, thank you for joining me today. Uh, are you planning to do a follow-up book uh, to this particular story? Well, at this moment, I, I don't one, but who knows what God has in store. So if it comes up that there's a need or something else that I need to research on, then maybe. Very good. And just for a brief moment, introduce this book to my listeners one more time and get them interested in getting their own personal copy of Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes. Um, it's, it's what it says. It is a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals, and I research the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to find out what God really says about it. It's um, it's a book of hope um, because I think God really does have it all planned out, and He is amazing. Uh, after doing the research, I began to love Him even more and more and trust Him with everything. So I'd encourage you to check it out, see what you think, and hopefully it'll encourage you to get into the Word yourself. Thank you for sharing your insight into animals as seen through God's eyes, a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals. Thank you, Dwyla, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.